CBS News. If you have unfi- your home for the top three shows in radio, the Sean Hannity Show. I believe in less government, more money back in your pockets, and out of the hands of the bureaucrats. Let's talk about that. The Ramsey Show. Whether you're 18, looking to do college the right way, or 80 and want to retire with dignity, the Ramsey personalities and I are here to help. The Mark Levin Show. Some people like to talk about the Tea Party movement. We are the Tea Party movement. We are the Reagan Revolution. Catch them weekdays on AM 1240 KFMO. The Parklands Freedom leader. Your home for the complete broadcast coverage of high school softball, volleyball, football, basketball, and baseball. We're the Parkland's sports leader. AM 1240 KFMO. Go online to kfmosports.com. We're the Parkland sports leader. AM 1240 KFMO. AM 1240 KFMO. The CBS Winter Holiday Special is presented by ZipRecruiter. This is the Winter Holiday Special from CBS News Radio. I'm Gil Gross. One thing we should never do is take Christmas for granted. It's just too important a holiday. It represents the birth of Christ, and for more than 2 billion Christians in the world, it's kind of hard to beat the importance of that. It's also a day of peace on Earth. Well, it aims to be and goodwill toward men and women. Well, unless somebody mentions politics and gift giving and radio stations playing Mariah Carey until you want to scream and hey, did Brenda Lee just have a number one record at age 78? Well, yes, she did. That has always been how we think of Christmas for the last decades. But has this always been the holiday as it is? Bruce David Forbes wanted to find out, an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church and a longtime professor of religion at Morningside College, among his books, Christmas, A Candid History. Good to have you with us. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you. Good to be with you. Okay, so obviously there was a time in history where people weren't on Amazon deciding what to get Cousin Dave or on Facebook deciding whether he even still liked Cousin Dave. But was this always anything like the day it is now? Oh, there's so many differences. And... The biggest surprise is the Christians in the first three centuries didn't even have an annual celebration for the nativity of Jesus. So how's that for a big change at the start? We developed it later. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine early on, since theologically, what would be important about the day is why Christ dies and what it means to Christians. So I imagine Easter was probably the big deal in terms of being observed. Exactly. I mean, I think people now think of Christmas and Easter as the two major holidays. And for the early Christians, it was Easter, Easter, Easter. It was all Easter, which also means that in terms of celebrations, it it had to be very, very different even early on. Yes, I mean, I think obviously they uh, would think some about the nativity of Jesus, but the focus was elsewhere. And it's only in the 300s for other reasons that they say, oh, the nativity should get attention too. Okay, when you say for other reasons, what happened then? What happened in the 300s? Was this about uh, Christianity being represented now as as an official religion by political figures or like well constantine of course about that time or what what changed right i do think that the change from an era of at least sporadic persecution to now acceptance by constantine uh that's part of it it's to be honest one of our big problems is we only can guess 
because I wish there was some document by a pope or an emperor or someone who said, okay, this is why we're going to start having an annual celebration for the birth of Jesus, and this is why we're putting it where we're putting it, and we have no such document. So we just have to kind of guess around the edges, and I think it's partly because Christians no longer so persecuted started arguing with each other and some said Jesus became divine later in life like at his baptism some say he always was and to deal with the nativity kind of helped be part of that argument now December 25th we should deal with because that may not even be that close a call as to when he was born I've heard some theologians say around when we mark Easter ironically is probably closer to his birth and that 4 AD or 6 AD is probably closer to his birth year than 1 AD Right. Yeah. In terms of month and day, of course, biblical materials do not tell us. And really, there is no consensus. A lot of people say the date probably was in the spring or whatever, but we have no consensus on that. So it, cert it probably was not December 25th. And uh, the, why did we do it then? What, what, here's what we do know, is that in that period of time, the Romans, and of course it's in the era of the Roman Empire, Romans had three big winter celebrations going on. One was the Saturnalia, which was a harvest festival in mid-December, uh, and it was wild. They also had a New Year's celebration that lasted for five days, and it had all kinds of things going on. And in the between that, at the sum, uh, winter solstice of the time, was the birthday of the sun god, warrior god, Mithra. And and so when Christians started celebrating Jesus's birth, they had to know that they were doing it in the middle of these three midwinter celebrations. And I don't know, I mean, shall we guess here? Were they trying to hijack the popularity of these? these? Were they trying to make them more calm or were they uh, just going to compete? I don't know. Well, does that, how does the change in calendar come into this? Because we're not using the same calendar as they did in those days either. Right, right. And, and of course, the winter solstice now, for other reasons, even the change of calendar is a bit different. It's now the 21st. Uh, so there have been shifts that gets <laughs> every time I just try to describe calendar issues, I just say in my own books, I say, I'm just getting dizzy because it's hard for me to follow it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. So the Christmas tree, the wreaths, and all of that, that seem to be more part of a winter holiday than a religious celebration, that gets mixed in because Christmas kind of ends up associated with these past pagan holidays? Right. And, you know, one thing that I've, uh, kind of a little theory that I've developed since doing the Christmas book is that I would say a lot of holidays, including Christmas, are like three-layer cakes. That, first of all, you have seasonal celebrations that make sense. You want to party in the spring when you survived winter. You want to party in the fall for harvest and the rest. And in the middle of winter, because it's hard to survive, you'd like to party there too. So first of all, human beings in cultures kind of way back in prehistory have had seasonal celebrations. Then what happens is a religion or a nation comes along and adds a celebration on top of the seasonal celebration. And that's what Christians have done here is they've added it on top of what people were already doing for winter. And if you think about a winter celebration, what would that be like? It would feature lights to push back the darkness. It would feature evergreens. 
that looks something looks like it's still alive when it looks like everything else had died. You'd want to get together and party because winter isolates. All of those are aspects of winter celebrations. And notice, I've said nothing about the a baby Jesus there. Those are just things to do in this season. And then Christians come along and add this. And so when they move from the Middle East into Western Europe, and they bring Christianity and the Christmas celebration with them, all those people already have winter parties going on. And so those get absorbed into the Christian celebration. I'm sitting here thinking about how different than Christmas celebrations might be if Bethlehem had been south of the equator instead of north of the equator. Right, <laughs> exactly. And But because it was north, I mean, one of my favorite images, I say Christmas is like a snowball. I don't mean one that you throw, but one you roll to make a snowman or a fort. And so as you roll along, you pick up things and it changes shape and so on. That's how you, you started out with this Christmas tree. That's how we pick up a Christmas tree. It was already part of a midwinter celebration, but especially trees were important, especially in Germany. And so Christians in Germany had Christmas trees, spreads to England, spreads to the United States. And so I'm thinking about, okay, the Christmas tree and the traditional shape of the Christmas tree, which is, you know, triangular. That's may not be what we get off the lot when we buy a tree or <laughs> how the plastic looks when we get a tree online. But, but still, that is kind of the classic shape. And is there a, a reason for that particular shape? Well, I, I mean... I think belatedly, then Christians add justifications to say, this is why this is a good symbol for us. And repeatedly, people said, well, that represents the Trinity, which, of course, it can. I mentioned earlier the Roman Emperor Constantine, who became the first political leader to accept Christianity and kind of threw off, you know, maybe that's how the Roman winter holidays get mixed in with celebrating the birth of Christ for people who do not have a background in Christianity, history, or theology, can we just kind of briefly explain the importance of Constantine in to the celebration of any or all of this? Yes, it's, it is very interesting because uh, I, sometimes Christians exaggerate the uh, persecutions, but they were persecuted in early Roman Empire in their early existence. But the first person to at least have a measure of toleration was Constantine. And although he didn't get baptized until the end of his life, his mother was a, a Christian and so on, he thought that Christianity would be able to unify his empire. And once it got started, uh, the, he found out that the Christians started to argue with themselves about what to believe. So he actually, you know, helps cause a, call a council. I think this is a maybe a satirical way of uh, talking about it, but I think he kind of said, listen, I'm going to lock you in a room and until you agree, I mean, you're not helping me here. Hang in, we've got more of the candid history of Christmas from Bruce Forbes here on the Winter Holiday Special from CBS News Radio. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Sure, you can post your job to some job board, but then all you can do is hope the right person comes along, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com free. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. Its powerful technology identifies people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. You get qualified candidates fast. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you what you're looking for the needle in the haystack four out of five employers who post a job in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day ZipRecruiter 
the smartest way to hire. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter.com slash free. This is CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. You know, like somebody not showing up when they're supposed to. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated U.S.-based HR manager, starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. HR managers can easily cost 80 grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com and type freedom under radio when you sign up. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E.com, freedom under radio. The CBS News Radio Winter Holiday Special is presented by Navage. We're back with more of the holiday special from CBS News Radio. I'm Gil Gross. I've been getting a candid history of Christmas from Methodist minister and longtime professor of religion at Morningside College, Bruce David Forbes. One of the things that we have, which does not happen with, you know, Good Friday and, and Easter and all, is that this holdover of some aspects of this holiday from the winter pagan celebrations, when you hear Christmas songs on the radio, you know, much more of that is about making love in the snow and all of that than anything actually related to the birth of Christ. So we've got this interesting duality going on with this holiday that, yes, there are religious celebrations, but yes, there are these things that have absolutely nothing to do with what the day is supposedly about. Yes, but often very much to do with how you could survive winter. Yes, yes, which again, south of the equator must lead to a great deal of confusion about all of this. Yes, yes, yeah, it's, and so you see Santa Claus images sometimes, you know, on a beach behind, uh, below, uh, underneath palm trees, et cetera, et cetera. Once you get out of the northern hemisphere, it all is pretty different. So was gift giving to mirror the wise men? I mean, if a kid were to get frankincense instead of a video game, they might be pretty well put out. But but still, is that where that comes from? Well, I think we say that it's rooted in the gifts that the wise men brought to the manger. But I think it, it's we need to understand that it's a fairly mo modern phenomenon about how centered on gifts it has become. I mean, the, the early centuries... If there were gifts, they tended to be more token gifts. And often the gift giving, this it gets down another road, was really on St. Nicholas Day, which was December 6th. And it wasn't so much on Christmas. And because of later developments, the gift giving from St. Nicholas Day gets moved to Christmas. And then it does for, again, a whole bunch of separate reasons. It expands and expands. I mean, one of the interesting things is when the Christmas tree comes from Germany to England and the United States. At first, the Christmas tree is on a table. And, 
And so the gifts are hanging from the tree or sitting on the table. It's just not this mounds of presents that we have now. And you see, you know what's happened now. We need floor to ceiling trees because we have mounds of gifts in order to exchange. That's pretty, that's a development uh, since the 1800s, I would say. So how does St. Nicholas, we've talked about him in years past in this special, but we're not otherwise talking about him this year. So let's, let's do that. How does St. Nicholas, who now is referred to by people as Santa Claus, become as intrinsic to this holiday? Well, to some people, even more so, especially non-Christians who still kind of celebrate the season and the holiday, becomes more intrinsic than Christ himself. Yes, <laughs> it's, and this is a long story that we probably shouldn't go into in detail, but so St. Nicholas, who was, we, it, mostly what we know about him is legend, not necessarily history, but he apparently was a bishop in uh, what's now Turkey in the 300s, and he became known as a gift giver, uh, but also, also a protector of children, protector of all kinds of other people, was very popular in Europe, and the way his tradition comes over to the United States is mainly through the Dutch, and it's mainly through New York developments, because remember, New York was first New Amsterdam. And uh, it's really a story of this St. Nicholas tradition morphing. In, in my book, I try to put it in like three steps, or uh, six steps, so that it changes a little here and a little here and a little here, so that this bishop, uh, who wears a bishop's robes, uh, in, for instance, the story, a story of Washington Irving becomes a, a guy wearing knickers flying through the air on a, a, a wagon pulled by a horse. Uh, but he's doing this on December, on December 6th, St. Nicholas Day. That's a change from then you get to the poem, The Night Before Christmas, which was not telling us about what people already thought about St. Nicholas, he was developing new things. So we're going to get reindeer. There may be one predecessor who suggested it. We're going to get reindeer. We're going to name them. We're going to have, and we're going to do this on Christmas Eve, not St. Nicholas Day. These things all develop. And by the way, the name, if you wonder, the Dutch name for St. Nicholas was Sinterklaas. And so Sinter, St. Klaas, Nicholas, and it's a very short distance to go from Sinterklaas to Santa Claus. And then you get, you know, further developments where Thomas Nast gives us certain illustrations. It, it all ends up with Coca-Cola and an advertising man named Haddon Sunbaum, his art agency, doing these images of Santa that I know that's what we think of when people say that. But it, it morphed stage by stage along the way. If you saw the first illustration published with the Night Before Christmas poem, it's, if I could show you the picture, the way I describe it is he looks like a scruffy leprechaun because really in the words of the poem, he's an elf. Right. It's not just a jolly old elf, but it's a miniature sleigh. It's a, a tiny reindeer. That, that would explain how he could come down a chimney. But anyway, my overall point is Santa Claus gradually, step by step, changes a little, changes a little, until we get now our image of Santa Claus. Yeah, he's a, he's an elf elf. He's not a Will Ferrell elf. He's a he's an elf elf in the poem. I never thought about the about the role that New York plays in this, because Washington Irving, who popularizes to a degree St. Nicholas, New Yorker, Clement Clark Moore, who writes The Night Before Christmas, also a New Yorker, 
in, in New York to a lot of, you know, religious people, probably the last place they think of is, has anything to do with how Christmas right. develops. And, and a famous letter that influenced a lot of people of, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. That's Santa, in many ways, it's kind Sun. of a New York creation. That is absolutely fascinating. And of course, a lot of the view that we have of, you know, Santa coming down the streets for some people, it's not just the Coca-Cola, but it's movies like um, Miracle on 34th Street, where he's coming down, you know, Broadway as part of not Christmas, but the Thanksgiving Day Parade in, in New York City. The night before Christmas, you mentioned, gives him a sleigh, gives him reindeer, though he's still called St. Nicholas. But it is interesting because He's no longer dressing like a saint. Right. Yeah, because in, uh, see, the first person in this transition was an organizer who nobody has heard of, John Pintard, and I'm not even sure I pronounced his name correctly. He was kind of an organizer in early New York, and he started historical society and chamber of commerce and other things. And he started a St. Nicholas uh, kind of society. And men, these first three people that we're talking about, they're all members of that. So he starts thinking of him as a bishop. And yes, and then it, the clothing changes to put him in Dutch clothing. Yeah, it just keeps changing everything. And I, and I think the role keeps changing. In my, if I go way back, and we don't have time to do that, to talk about how St. Nicholas was seen in the Middle Ages and so on, I think over time, St. Nicholas and Santa Claus have had three different roles. One is a protector. And that was really strong for St. Nicholas. One is a disciplinarian. So that's if you've been naughty or nice, you know, he, he's been treated that way. And that was a lot in Europe also. But the other is as a gift giver. And, and as you asked before, why is he so important? Well, as a gift giver, then that hooks into all kinds of commercial purposes as well. Everybody can, can promote this symbol. But it's not just Santa. There are many things that people believe about Christmas, display about Christmas, you know, the donkey and, and all that, that aren't in the Bible, that aren't part of this story. So what got added and how and when? Well, it's, yeah, it, we, our early point was that even the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Christmas or the nativity of Jesus. It talks about Easter, 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 and that's the early Christians. So we don't, we have just bare bones to work with, a little bit in the Gospel of Matthew and a little bit in the Gospel of Luke, and they're not even the same same stories. So we just had traditions that have been built up around it. Sometimes it was cross-referencing with Hebrew scriptures, what Christians call the Old Testament. But the wise men, why did they get called kings? Well, that's because there's a cross-reference to a passage in Hebrew Scripture, although I think there it's really talking about Solomon. Um, so we've just added traditions from all over the place, and it kind of helps fill out the story. I personally don't mind that. Um, the, in a way, I think some of the creativity people have had about a, the Christmas story, that's kind of their gift to the baby Jesus. I mean, we all come to the manger if you're a Christian. Uh, the creativity we have surrounding the birth story. Yeah, it, it, when you're asking what's not there, if you notice there's no donkey. Um, that's the, That gets added later. All kinds of things. We don't know, really, we have three wise men, 
one of them is blacks, they have names, all of that we've added. All it says is wise men bringing three gifts. That could have been two people bringing three gifts or 12 people bringing three gifts. We, we have added or filled in the story in ways that I personally love. Just ahead, we'll unravel more of the candid history of Christmas from Bruce Forbes here on the Winter Holiday Special from CBS News Radio. The holidays are the happiest time of the year. That is, unless you or your loved ones are miserable because of colds, sinus infections, or allergies. This holiday season, give the gift of better breathing with Navage. What makes Navage so effective? Well, unlike cold and allergy drugs that might take a long time to help, if they're effective at all, Navage provides fast relief from sinus congestion in 30 seconds flat. Navage doesn't just relieve symptoms, it attacks the cause by sucking out the germs, allergens, and viruses trapped in your nose that are making you feel miserable. Best of all, Navage does it naturally, without drugs. Wash away your cold and congestion problems this holiday season. Add Navage to your gift list so you can breathe easier, sleep better, and feel healthier all year long. Ask for Navage at Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Target, or find us online at Navage.com. Navage, N-A-V-A-G-E. Clean nose, healthy life. It's the In Case You Missed It news file, news from last week from KFMO. In case you missed it, we discovered January is Human Trafficking Month coming up. The winner in the Park Hills House and Business Decorating Contests were announced, and State Rep Michael Henderson announced he's running for the Missouri Senate next year in the November elections. Remember to tune in this start Monday through Friday mornings from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on KFMO and visit the website kfmo.com. This is the Sean Hannity Show. Zelensky's been very clear, is that if you provide him the weaponry, the Ukrainian people will fight this battle themselves, and they've shown that they can win. If we're going to provide them anything, we can provide them training, we can provide them intelligence, certainly missile defense systems and air defense systems, offensive weaponry and defensive weaponry, and I think that's the way we, the world needs to go. The Sean Hannity Show, weekdays from 2 to 5 on AM 1240 KFMO. Glenn Beck. The most important thing on Lady Justice is the blindfold. She's a judge, and so she is not to know, is this a friend of mine? Is this a powerful person? But no one receives a different standard in justice because of their position or lack of. Glenn Beck, heard exclusively from 9 to noon on AM 1240 KFMO, the Parkland's Freedom Leader. The Glenn Beck Program. This is the Sean Hannity Show. Sean Hannity here. I believe in less government, more money back in your pockets, and out of the hands of the bureaucrats. Let's talk about that. Living the American dream every single day and fighting to keep that dream alive for everyone. That stuff matters. Your home for the highest rated show in talk radio. The Sean Hannity Show. 2 to 5 on the Heartland's Freedom Leader. AM 1240 KFMO. The Ramsey Show. So 209000 paid off in four years. What do you tell people the key to getting out of debt is? We did a budget for years, and we didn't stick to it, and that doesn't do anything. So you actually have to follow the roadmap. Did people think you were weird for doing this stuff? Yeah. Right. He cut my hair. We re-roofed our house on our own. Dave, would Sharon uh, let you cut her hair? 
No. Okay. Well, if you mess up, it just gets shorter. (laughs) (laughs) He's figured it out. Dave Ramsey, weekdays from noon until 2 on AM 1240 KFMO. Your home for the complete broadcast coverage of high school softball, volleyball, football, basketball, and baseball. We're the Parkland's sports leader. AM 1240 KFMO. Go online to kfmosports.com. We're the Parkland sports leader. AM 1240 KFMO. AM 1240 KFMO. The CBS Winter Holiday Special is presented by Bambi Human Resources. Welcome back. I'm Gil Gross. We've been talking about the candid history of Christmas from Bruce Forbes. The Puritans, who we talked about a great deal on our Thanksgiving special, by the way, you can find that as a podcast if you look up CBS News Radio holiday specials and go back and listen to everything about the Puritans. But the Puritans, I take it, being Puritans, probably weren't too thrilled with all this fun and foo for Exactly. And in fact, that's... That's a major part of the story about why the American Christmas is the way it is. So, yeah, briefly, the Puritans, uh, who are a dissenting group from the Church of England in England in the 1600s, they think that the Church of England, in breaking from the Catholic Church, didn't break far enough. They should have gotten rid of more of the Catholic things so you could be like the early Christians. And among the things that they objected to were... Uh, the celebration of Christmas. The the reasons for that is they said, well, the earliest Christians uh, didn't celebrate that, and they're right about that. And then they also, I think, just felt there was way too much partying going on. (laughs) You know, H.L. Mencken had this sarcastic comment about a Puritan is someone who has the haunting fear that someone somewhere might be happy, (laughs) which is probably not fair. But they opposed many of these celebrations that you said you just have a day off work and you worship God on Sunday. And so in the Puritan Revolution in the mid-1600s, they temporarily kind of halted the celebration of Christmas. And then even though they didn't stay in control for about 150 years, Christmas was a de-emphasized holiday in England, Uh, really dropped out of sight so that uh, Gift giving would mostly happen in at New Year's or other times, um, and th- it's, it's amazing how far it, it went away. In the 1700s, I happened to be a United Methodist, and John Wesley, who's founded our denomination, um, lived in the 1700s. He never gave a Christmas sermon. So to the rescue comes Charles Dickens. Well, three things I think: Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, Charles Dickens and a Christmas Carol, and Santa. So we've talked about Santa. Yeah, Charles Dickens, he writes this wonderful story, and it's very successful both in England and in America. He is not describing Christmas at the time. He is trying to bring back a Christmas that once was in England. So he's kind of reinventing or reinvigorating Christmas. And I think what's really important here is when he does that, think about the story of the Christmas Carol. It's not much, it doesn't tell you about the baby Jesus in a manger. There's very little religious reference there. And I think a lot of people would say what the Christmas that he helps revive gives us the Christmas spirit. And the Christmas spirit is generosity. 
And I think Christians can endorse that, but people who aren't Christian can endorse that. So we get a Christmas spirit that uh, kind of dominates the holiday that all of us like. There are other things that we take for granted about Christmas, which obviously weren't always the case. So when did Christmas become so important a holiday that schools and businesses closed? Because I take it during those years that the Puritans were thinking we're all having too much fun or before a Christmas carol kind of, you know, revives it as a holiday that people, even not of an especially religious bent, can take part in. Because there's no point in A Christmas Carol where Scrooge, you know, has some kind of uh, religious epiphany or anything. It's it's ghosts saying he's just being, well, Scrooge. So when does Christmas become so important to holiday schools and businesses close? Well, I think uh, two things happen. One is that... Um, once there are presents, and I think especially when they're not just homemade, but they are manufactured, uh, businesses take a different attitude toward uh, Christmas. Because the, an earlier um, attitude of business is kind of like Scrooge, and that is, I have to pay these people for not doing work. Uh, I'm just out money. Once business interests realize that this could be a marketing opportunity, I think that helps this uh, just kind of influence the whole society. And I think it also stopped the arguments where some Christians in the early Americas, some Christians celebrated Christmas and others didn't. I mean, when, I guess the three things I just uh, listed, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, Dickens' Christmas Carol, and then the development of Santa Claus, they helped this become kind of a cultural Christmas that was popular among all kinds of people. And the Christians quit their arguing about it too, and they all celebrated even though they were hesitant earlier, some of them. All of this and more and much more is in Bruce's book, Christmas, A Candid History. Bruce David Forbes an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church, longtime professor of religion at Morningside College. Bruce, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for being with us. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. You're listening to the Winter Holiday Special from CBS News Radio. This is CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. You know, like somebody not showing up when they're supposed to. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated U.S.-based HR manager, starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. HR managers can easily cost 80 grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com and type freedom under radio when you sign up. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E.com freedom under radio. Patrick was way behind on his IRS taxes. I was in way over my head. The total amount ended up being somewhere oh, just over $30,000. $30,000. 
Then the IRS came to collect. Started getting letter after letter. A lien had been filed against me. They were going to basically like hang me completely out to dry. He had to do something. That's when I reached out to Optima Tax Relief. Patrick's life quickly got a lot easier. It was very easy. Pretty much hands off. You know, they picked up the ball and ran with it. And how'd it go? I couldn't believe it. I had to ask like two or three times. I saved an incredible amount of money. How does Patrick feel about Optima? Couldn't be happier. They definitely helped me. Optima Tax Relief, the best place to call. They're the best in the business. Do what Patrick did and call Optima Tax Relief for a free consultation. Call 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. Optima Tax Relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Hi folks, John Robinson, Pettis, Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Supercenter, Farmington, Missouri. It's the wrap up the year sales event and we've got big discounts, big rebates. 23 half tons, 10% rebates, discounts up to $15,000. Grand Cherokees, 10% rebate, discounts averaging about $8,000, $9,000. Folks, it's a great time. Come on in, take a test drive. No matter what you're looking for, we've got them. Big discounts and rebates. So come see us, Pettis, Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Supercenter, Farmington, Missouri. It's wintertime, and Wart's Farm Center in Fredericktown is your go-to place for all of your farm, ranch, and animal needs. Wart's Farm Center is a full-line Purina dealer and can set you up with whatever your farm animals may require. Stay warm with the comfort of knowing Wart's Farm Center will take care of you. Stop in or call 573-783-3100. Wart's Farm Center in Fredericktown. Since 1968, Leadbelt Pump and Supply has been serving the community with authorized sales and service. They have over 30 years of experience to help you with a reputation for quality. If you need contract drilling, Leadbelt Pump and Supply is happy to serve you. You'll find Leadbelt Pump and Supply at 204 East Elvins in Park Hills or give them a call at 573-431-2476. That's 573-431-2476. Leadbelt Pump and Supply. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from my family to yours. I'm Trent Quiava, owner of Cornerstone Furniture and Mattress in Park Hills. Right now, we receive extra cash discounts for Christmas, and we also have 48 months with 0% financing available. I'd also like to take this time to say thank you to all of our customers supporting our business this year. It means a lot to me and my family. If you haven't shopped at Cornerstone Furniture and Mattress, I invite you to stop by. We can't wait to turn your house into a home. Cornerstone Furniture and Mattress on St. Joe Drive in Park Hills. The Winter Holiday Special from CBS News Radio is presented by Steel. Welcome back to the Holiday Special from CBS News Radio. I'm Bill Gross. Nothing says Christmas like Christmas music. Actually, nothing says Thanksgiving like Christmas music or now Halloween. Radio stations start playing Christmas music earlier and earlier every year. Probably by next year, they'll start on Labor Day and you'll stop wearing white and you'll start playing All I Want for Christmas is You. But why is that? Polls show, though, the country is as spiritual as ever. People day to day are less religious. And yet, Christmas songs are more popular than ever. Joe Bennett's a professor of musicology at the Berkeley School of Music. It's so good to have you with us. What is going on here? I mean, popular music is generally about, you know, people falling in and out of love, that sort of thing. There are a few Christmas holiday songs about that. But for the most part, Christmas music isn't about any of that. Right. There is. It has its strange. It, it has a strange logic of its own, doesn't it? Christmas music. The, it has lyric themes that we are happy to go back to every December, or as you say, increasingly every November. 
and uh, and yet the rest of the year we just want the same old stuff that we've always wanted out of pop you know falling in love and dancing is the main two the main two uh, themes but at christmas music all bets are off we want something different out of our pop yeah the interesting thing is that though it is a religious holiday most christmas songs are not religious that, of course, wasn't always the case. And, of course, especially in classical music, Christmas music is very specifically religious. Popular songs are about snow and getting presents, and they're loved even in parts of the country where you never see snow and by people who aren't even Christian. Well, right. And I, I think that's possibly due to, you know, an increasingly secularized society. Uh, you know, America particularly is, is a country of many cultures and, and religions. And uh, so I think... Uh, it's certainly true that we see this in the Christmas repertoire. There's very little of it that deals with the Christian faith or the nativity story that Christians tell each other. It's more about, um, well, holiday music. Uh, most cultures have some kind of a winter festival, regardless of religion. And I think this is partly, like I say, evidence of the way society has become perhaps less religious generally, partly as a result of it becoming more multicultural and inclusive, and partly simply songwriters want to have a hit. So they want to appeal to the greatest number of people possible, regardless of faith, culture, or, 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 or no belief at all. What's interesting is both how these songs hold up as songs and as musical style. People who would not be caught dead these days listening to, say, you know, Bing Crosby singing anything other than White Christmas will put White Christmas on repeat. It's just love no matter that the era of his style of singing or this style of writing that kind of song is long past, still works. Yes, and White Christmas, which is from 1942, of course. You know, how many other songs from 1942 do we still have in annual rotation on Spotify? You know, it's a very small number. And as you say, Bing Crosby was a, a singer of his time. He had a very specific crooner style that developed in the 1930s as a result of him being one of the first singers to sing quite low in volume and very close to the microphone, which is that famous crooner sound that we associate with that era. But White Christmas, it's its an extraordinary song. You know, I, I, I use it in my songwriting classes with my students at Berkeley, and we, we do a lot of analysis of, of it and actually some other Bing Crosby repertoire. It, it's, it's 16 bars long. There's almost nothing to it at all. And yet it gets so much into that tiny lyric and bar count. You know, it has imagery, it has rhyme scheme, it has a beautiful melodic rhythm to it. And it gets all that stuff done in, you know, about a minute. And then the rest is all repeats. Yeah, and it's amazing that that simple thing is what's lasted from Bing Crosby. Crosby actually started out as a true jazz singer, scatting, doing very complex rhythms and things. Those songs are not what he's remembered for at all anymore. And yeah, the lyrics to these songs generally aren't complex either. Mel Torme's Christmas song, which Nat King Cole had a big hit with, which you hear every year on the radio, Spotify, and everywhere else, is just sort of a shopping list of images. And many other songs are just variations of, hey, it's snowing. Right. And, uh, and actually, the lyric themes are fairly consistent in Christmas songs over decades. Uh, so a couple of years back, I did an analysis of the top 200 Christmas songs that were streaming at that, at that point in the UK. And um, of those, of that 278, had some kind of Christmas or holiday theme. And I found that, excluding the instrumentals, they broke down into eight broad lyric themes, uh, 
the, the main one was home, themes of home. That's family, open fires, gifts under the tree and so on. Uh, being in love at Christmas, that special someone. Falling out of love at Christmas, you know, dumped and lonely. Lots of Christmas songs about loneliness. Partying, dancing and mistletoe and so on. Uh, a lot of Santa-themed songs. Um, Snow-related, as you say, weather themes and weather-based imagery. And universal concepts of peace on earth. Very occasionally, there are what you might call Christian songs that tell the, the versions of the nativity story, but not so much in recent decades. You know, songs like A Child is Born and Mary's Boy Child are very much of their time. And I think it's been quite interesting as a, as a musicologist who sort of analyzes these trends in music to watch Christmas song or what I might now call holiday song themes track the increased secularization and multicultural nature of our society. Christmas songs have become more inclusive in recent decades, I suggest. Although some of those timeless hits do exactly the same thing. You know, White Christmas is about the weather and wishing each other a happy Christmas. Uh, you know, same with, um, with that laundry list of images, that, you, as you said, in Mel Torme's The Christmas Song. It's simply a bunch of lyrics that put you in that, that place lyrically and make you think of those Christmas images that people hold so dear. We were talking about the inclusion of this holiday. Mel Torme, who I mentioned a moment ago, was Jewish. Irving Berlin, who wrote White Christmas, was Jewish. A lot of holiday songs were written by people who aren't Christian. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and we could sit here and go on and on, were written by people who, for themselves, for the most part, did not celebrate the holiday. You mentioned home being the number one subject. This thing of nostalgia and the fact that these kinds of songs are so strong is really interesting because these songs are loved by people who are nostalgic for things they did not necessarily have. A lot of people don't have happy memories of Christmas. They you know, come from broken homes. They couldn't afford presents. Many people even today find the pressure of buying gifts not a fun thing. And yet Christmas songs are comforting in a way that's hard to explain. Right. And I think they all present the same idealized version of Christmas homecoming. You know, it's it, it doesn't matter what one's own reality was growing up. Christmas is a time or the, the holiday season is a time when people often return to the family home. You know, they see relatives that they haven't seen uh, for a long time, perhaps because everyone's got the same week off work. And uh, so it, it is the most universal theme of that holiday season, regardless of where you're coming from um, culturally or, or regarding faith, that you're um, that you're you're coming back to that, not only to that place, but also implicitly to that time. So we tell ourselves that maybe slightly romanticized story that you know all families get along at Christmas and we shower each other with gifts and we have a lovely time. Uh, and we, it's also a curiously analog experience. You know, people don't talk about, you know, playing on the PlayStation at Christmas. It's going back to a simpler time, which I suggest is why, uh, along with that early repertoire, the Bing Crosby being an example, that the, the time when a lot of nostalgic Christmas imagery comes from is a sort of mid 20th century period certainly in, in the songs that are targeted at, uh, at the U.S. and the U.K. market, which is the ones that I've, um, I've analyzed the most. We'll have more in a moment from musicologist Joe Bennett on how Christmas songs are written to make us love them so much in just a moment, right here on the Holiday Special from CBS News Radio. 
Give the gift that's hard to wrap, but easy to give. Buy them a steal. Save $30 on the BG56 CE handheld blower. Go to steelusa.com slash gift guide. Offer valid for a limited time only at participating dealers while supplies last. Don't let a cold, sinus infections, or allergies ruin your holidays. Add Navage to your gift list so you can breathe easier, sleep better, and feel healthier all year long. Ask for Navage at Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Target, or find us online at navage.com. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well, trying to find a needle in a haystack, but not with ZipRecruiter. Its powerful technology actively finds and invites qualified candidates to apply to your job. So while other companies might deliver a lot of hay, ZipRecruiter finds you the needle in the haystack. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com free. That's ZipRecruiter.com free. Weather is brought to you by Kitchell Accounting and Tax Service in Ironton. It's never too early to start crunching those numbers, downloading those forms, and organizing all those receipts you put in your shoebox. Getting frustrated yet? Yeah. Try crunching this number, 573-546-3104. Accountant Stephanie Kitchell with Kitchell Accounting and Tax Service in Ironton. Year-round for tax and business consulting, accounting, and bookkeeping, and payroll. Crunch that number one more time, 573-546-3104. A trusted name in the Arcadia Valley area, Kitchell Accounting and Tax Service in Ironton. The best lineup in radio can be found here. Hannity. Living the American dream every single day. Ramsey. No matter where you are in your journey, you can win with money. Levin. What stands between us and tyranny and totalitarianism is the civil society and our constitutional order. Beck. I stand with you. If you stand with the Bill of Rights, Shapiro. We're about the Constitution, the Founding Fathers, and eternal truths. Only on AM 1240 KFMO, the Parkland's Freedom Leader. This is the Sean Hannity Show. Sean Hannity here. Conservative beliefs are the pillars of freedom, and it is what makes us great. Let's talk about it. If you care about this country, if you care about freedom and democracy, and you believe that those things make America great, I urge you to listen to my show. The top-rated show in radio can be found here. The Sean Hannity Show, weekdays at 2 on AM 1240 KFMO. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training, along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perished in the line of duty, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on United States Deputy Sheriff's Association, please visit usdeputy.org. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Sean Hannity, an independent, compassionate Reagan conservative, and you bet and proud of it. Fighting the media bias with the power of talk radio and you. America is the greatest country in the world, but we've got to defend it. The best voice in radio. Sean Hannity, afternoons from 2 to 5 on AM 1240 KFMO, the Parkland's freedom leader. Your home for the complete broadcast coverage of high school softball, volleyball, football, basketball, and baseball. We're the Parkland's sports leader. AM 1240, KFMO. Go online to kfmosports.com. We're the Parkland's sports leader. AM 1240, KFMO. AM 1240, KFMO. 
The CBS News Radio Winter Holiday Special is presented by Optima Tax. Welcome back to the Holiday Special from CBS News Radio. I'm Gil Gross, and we've been sitting with musicologist Joe Bennett from the Berkeley School of Music. So when we did the repertoire analysis of those top 78 Christmas songs, uh, one thing that we got out of it was a word cloud. So we put all of the lyrics into a big bucket and asked what were the most common nouns that appeared. Uh, and they were as follows. Snow, party, tree, Santa, love, home, and cold. So they're all kind of fairly neutral statements about the season and the coming together of families, which I, I think is one of the things that, you know, all pop music writers want to do. They, they want to be relatable and they want to be universal. And you can't get much more universal than those seasonal themes. We've spent a lot of time here talking about the content of the lyrics of these songs. Let's, let's talk about what there is musically, because you're a musicologist. What do these songs have in common? I mean, I imagine they're mostly in major keys because, you know, it's happy. What kinds of musical things do they have in common? Right. Well, in fact, that is one of the the first things people who study music theory um, kind of... It's, it's a simple rule of thumb in music theory that generally major keys are happy and minor keys are sad. I think a lot of people are familiar with that idea. Uh, in holiday music, that is turbocharged. In the repertoire we looked at, 95% of the repertoire was in a major key, which is a lot higher proportion than contemporary pop, which is leaning more and more toward minor keys, interestingly. 90% um, are in 4-4 time, which is not that remarkable because most popular music is. It's the most common time signature. Um, a few more of them have a, a swing beat. So rather than that, 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 that in the background, in the backing beat, you have a dat, da dat, da dat, da dat, uh, sort of a shuffle beat, as some people call it. And that's more common in Christmas music that, historically than it is in popular music generally. Interesting. Okay, I've got to ask you, does Joe Bennett have a favorite Christmas song? I really do, actually, but um, I'm not sure how well it uh, it plays in, in America. It was a big hit in the UK in, I think, 1985. It's a song called Fairy Tale of New York by The Pogues. And uh, the Pogues featuring Kirsty McCall. And the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day. And it's a, it's a very strange story. It's it's essentially a conversation between two drunks who are kind of down on their luck in New York. And the chorus is famously, the boys in the NYPD choir were singing Galway Bay and the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day. And it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a really delightful story and a very quirky uh, Christmas song. But in terms of songwriting craft, it's very hard not to stand in awe at the skill that went into writing White Christmas. It is a really remarkable bit of songwriting. You know, like the poetry of Robert Frost, which only when you analyze it do you realize that even though it sounds so simple, it's so difficult to do. If it was easy, everybody would be writing stuff like that. Irving Berlin songs and songs like White Christmas are the same, deceptively simple. And this songwriting craft is just wonderful. And, and by the way, as a final note, in terms of your favorite Christmas song, I'm a huge Kirsty McCall fan, so that totally works for me. Joe Bennett is professor of musicology at the Berkeley School of Music. Joe, thank you so much, and Merry Christmas. Right back at you. Thank you. This is the holiday special from CBS News Radio.
1240 KFMO, the Parklands Freedom Leader. Park Hills, Farmington, Arcadia Valley.